0: Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life. Today we're finishing up the series that we've uh, called Seven Stories of Hope. Uh, Even though we're finishing the series up, I hope you trying to use these stories to share hope with other people, to engage them in a spiritual dialogue, uh, will not stop. Uh, And I'm saying that hoping you have started trying to share uh, your faith by telling people stories of of hope. I think it's a good way to approach things because we uh, we all need hope uh, in our lives. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the hope of mercy and forgiveness. Uh, we ought to be so thankful that we have uh, mercy and forgiveness that's been uh, applied to our lives if you know Christ as your Savior, uh, but we need to remember that other people uh, will need mercy and, and forgiveness. Uh, to me, I'm thrilled that we can have mercy and forgiveness because I need it about every day. Do you, huh? About every time you turn around, uh, need mercy and, uh, and forgiveness in in our lives. Uh, Regrettably, though, in the text we're going to look at today, just to kind of set the context of it for you to begin with, um, in the forgiveness and mercy that's going to be discussed, uh, it's not like a pathway to salvation or saying if you don't forgive people, it's like you lose salvation. That's impossible. What we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is how uh, we ought to practice mercy and forgiveness toward each other uh, as believers in, in this story regrettably a lot of believers a lot of christians struggle somehow with practicing mercy and forgiveness with each other uh, and there's probably very reasons various reasons for that uh, part of a poem that i saw years ago that you probably might have heard before uh says this to live above with saints we love will certainly be glory in other words once we get to heaven uh, it's going to be great up there but it says this also to live below with saints we know well that's another story uh that's true a lot of times isn't it that maybe we struggle here uh but we need to know how to deal with that how not to struggle uh that much in our lives the focal passage that we're going to be in today uh is in matthew chapter 18 verse 21 through 35 uh so if you want to turn in your bibles you can kind of follow along there and we'll be having the verses up on the screen Uh, On the way to this topic about mercy and forgiveness, there are a couple of other topics in Matthew 18 that we kind of need to be aware of to help set the context of of what Jesus says here. Uh, Jesus talks about humility in Matthew 18, verse 1 through 14. And then he talks about honesty. Uh, talking about honesty in relationships, humility in relationships. But he talks about honesty in relationships in Matthew 18:15 through 20. In other words, he gives us instructions if someone sins against us, how we ought to deal with it. Uh, unless we apply those things, unless we apply humility and honesty, uh, we won't have the type of forgiveness we need in relationships. Relationships won't be mended as they should be. In this story that we're going to look at, Peter recognizes there's going to be some risk involved in practicing humility and in practicing also honesty. So he comes up to ask Jesus about how many times you have to forgive someone. And we will have that. You know, we're called upon to forgive others. Uh, It will help us forgive others if we have humility in our lives. Because, you see, they'll help us minimize the offense that someone else has against us. If we don't have humility, it would be like, how dare they treat us like this? Well, you know, Jesus died on the cross for us. So if we'll have humility uh, instead of us holding on to things that other people have done against us, in humility we ought to say, well, why not us, you know, uh, instead. In uh, honesty, if we're honest, if we start living in an environment of honesty and we're approaching... Uh, other believers and we're actually telling them when they have done something against us when they've sinned against us I guarantee you're gonna need to practice forgiveness because that's not easy sometimes to go and talk to somebody and say hey I don't like that you've done this to me and we'll need to practice mercy and forgiveness to help pull that that off as we think about this hope of mercy and forgiveness today I want you to notice two main things in the passages of Scripture we're gonna look at we're gonna see some instructions about forgiveness and then we're going to see an illustration uh, about forgiveness. To begin with, uh, look at how Jesus gives instruction about forgiveness in verse 21 through 22. Uh, the reason he gives instructions is that Peter comes up and asks a question. He comes up to him and he questions Jesus about forgiveness. It said, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Uh, It's kind of like Peter's coming up looking for uh, a mathematical equation, uh, more or less, involving forgiveness. Uh, Maybe he's trying to figure out, all right, when can I be done with somebody? Uh, When can I say, I've forgiven you all I have to forgive you. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, You've messed up so much. You've hurt me so much in in my life that here I've reached the limit now, so I'm just casting you aside. Maybe that's kind of the idea that... that that peter had as he comes up and he asks jesus about uh, about this question problem is in peter's question really a couple problems that peter had is this number one he lacked humility himself because it's as though peter's assuming somebody's going to sin against him and he's not thinking he may sin against somebody else and maybe that won't come as a shock to you that Peter sometimes had pride in his life. But if you'll remember, Peter's the one that said, If all these others desert you, I never will. I'll never deny you. And yet he, he did so. So he had a lot of pride in his life. Here he kind of has the pride of assuming other people are going to offend him. But, you know, maybe he's not thinking and factoring into the equation that he's human and he's going to offend people himself also. Another problem that Peter had in this type of question as he comes to Jesus, he's asking for limits and measures. He's wanting Jesus to give him some type of standard, some type of measurement. And then before Jesus even answers, Peter gives his own viewpoint. He says as many as seven times. In other words, Jesus, if I forgive somebody seven times, is that all I need to forgive them? By the way, Peter doing that, he would have thought of himself as being super spiritual, or extra spiritual, or, you know, really, really gracious, because in that day and time, the rabbis were teaching this. They were teaching, you only had to forgive somebody three times, and then after you give them three times, you don't have to forgive them anymore. So in Peter's mind, maybe he's doubling. He's saying, well, man, I'm going to sound really spiritual when I ask Jesus about forgiveness. So I'm going to double it instead of three times like the rabbis are saying, I'm going to double it plus one. So that makes me look really good that I'm willing to forgive someone like that. The number seven, Peter might have had this in his mind too. The number seven is considered a biblical Word for completeness. So possibly in Peter's mind, he thought, All right, if I forgive seven times, I'm I'm finished with it. I'm, I'm complete in the forgiveness. I have to practice towards someone else. So Peter might have said this and felt pretty good about himself until Jesus started telling him what the real standard of forgiveness is. Jesus, as he answers this question, gives some instructions about forgiveness. And the standard that Jesus gives is this in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490 times. Now, that's not a mathematical equation that Jesus has given to his disciples either, to Peter. He's not telling Peter, go keep a ledger on the times you're offended. And on the times you forgive someone, go write it all down, keep a ledger, and then at the end, of 490 times, you're done with it. See, we're told in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, right? So we're not told to keep a ledger. That's not what Jesus means here. The statement that he makes here in that culture that day was more or less a way of saying an infinite number of times. He's not trying to tell Peter to write a ledger down. He's saying you just keep on forgiving and you keep on forgiving and you keep on forgiving. Even if you wanted to go literally and you say, but Jesus said 490 times, so I'm going to do 490 times. Well, listen, if you forgive somebody 490 times, you have developed such a culture of forgiveness in your own heart that that it's a non-issue at that point in time, to be honest with you. If you forgive someone that often and, and that many times. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not trying to give some type of equation about it whatsoever. Now, before you start thinking, man, that's a bummer. Because people hurt me all the time and I'd like to be done with them and I'd like to have a way to deal with it. Well, Jesus gave a way to deal with it. He had already said that earlier in Matthew 18. He said, if someone sins against you, go to them and talk to that person. If they'll not receive it, take at least one or two witnesses with you, some witnesses to verify everything that's being said. If he still doesn't receive it, you might need to take it to the church and let the church help to decide the issue that's taking place between you. So there is a method to try and help deal with With other believers, when they've sinned against you, when they've offended against you. But the method does not involve you saying, I'm done with you. I've done all the forgiving I'm going to do. I've fulfilled my obligation of seven times, Peter said. But Jesus said, seven times 70. You see, a follower of Christ can never say this. We can never say, I've forgiven enough. Now it's time for me to hold a grudge. You know why we shouldn't do that? Why we should not think? It's within our power and ability to say, i have forgiven enough. Now I'm going to hold a grudge against you. Because Jesus himself is the very standard of forgiveness. Jesus was abused. Jesus was beaten. He was hurt more than any of us have ever been hurt. And yet Jesus from the cross said what? Father, forgive them. So he's the standard for forgiveness, not just what he said, but his very actions, the way he treated other people, the way he acted toward other people. So as believers, we ought to willingly forgive for this reason. You and I have already been forgiven. We ought to look at the cross, everything that Jesus did for us, and understand since we have been forgiven so much in our lives, we need to be willing to practice mercy and forgiveness toward others. If we'll remember what Christ has done for us. Then Jesus goes into an illustration. He gives some instructions about forgiveness based on Peter's question. And then Jesus kind of wants to seal the deal really clearly, I think. And he gives an illustration. He tells a parable also about forgiveness. This illustration of this parable should have taught Peter. And it ought to also teach us about practice and forgiveness. Because it illustrates the need for us to, to practice the same forgiveness that you and I have received. Toward other people. Now, before I go on any further, it's extremely, it's extremely, it's extremely important. I've already alluded to it once. I'll mention it probably several times because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. In this story, this parable that Jesus is talking, he's not teaching about how to be saved. That's not the topic. The topic is not you can be saved if you forgive people like you ought to. That's not what he's doing. Neither is he teaching you losing your salvation If you don't forgive people like you ought to on the other side of having trusted in Christ, that's not what he's saying. One main reason we know that's what he's not saying and teaching, because that'd be a contradiction of Scripture. Because the Bible clearly tells us we're not saved by works and we don't maintain our salvation by works. It's all by God's grace. Amen. Now, there are a lot of passages we could turn to to prove that, but just to kind of get that planted in your mind before you go off kind of wildfire on this illustration that Jesus is going to give to Peter. In Titus, Paul writes these words to Titus, "Or we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, let us pray. He's talking about what we used to be like. Before we receive Christ, let us strive slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But a change took place. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his what? Mercy. What we're talking about today, mercy and forgiveness. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his what? Not by our works, not by how we forgive or not forgive other people, but based upon his grace, his unmerited favor toward our lives, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So just be sure you file head in your mind right now that this parable is not talking about salvation. What it is dealing with is forgiveness between brothers. Forgiveness between brothers. Forgiveness between believers. It's not teaching either gaining or losing salvation based upon how we forgive others. It is teaching about one brother forgiving or failing to forgive another brother. Now, that being said, I'm going to throw a... Monkey in the works for you a little bit, <laughs> that being said, if you're someone who claims to know Christ as your savior but you can never ever forgive other people, you might need to evaluate whether or not your faith in Jesus is authentic, and you'll see some serious verses about that as we as we move on now, having said that, I want you to notice three. Main things about forgiveness in this story that Jesus tells in this parable. Three main things about forgiveness. Number one is this the hope of mercy and forgiveness is received, and we need to remember ourselves. We need to remember that you and I have been forgiven. I'm not going to read all this, I'm going to talk through uh, some of the verses here. Some of them I'll read, some of I will not. But in, in verse 23 through 27, uh, Jesus is telling the story and, and he's equating it to the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying the story that he is talking about is a, is a spiritual lesson. It's a story about the way things would be in, in God's kingdom. But he said it can be compared to this king who wanted to kind of look at his accounts and see how his accounting was going. And as he did an investigation, he had someone do this investigation, he found out that one of his servants, which by the way, most Bible scholars don't think it, this guy was a, a menial type servant in the story Jesus was talking about. It was probably uh, someone higher up in the court. It would be like a, a courtroom servant someone higher up in the king uh, with the king it might even be in his accountant because of what they discover that he owed the king as they're doing this investigation they find out their servant of the king 10,000 talents so the king gets really upset brings a servant in the servant is not able to pay it back so the king says I'm going to sell you I'm going to sell your family I'm going to sell everything that you own All that you own in your life. I'm going to do away with all of it. And this servant, because he couldn't pay it back, decides to cry out for pity, cry out for mercy. And the Bible tells us, out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him. Out of pity, the master released him and forgave him. The servant in this story had a debt that he could not pay a debt that he could not pay to help illustrate the point if you bring 10,000 talents up into our modern day economy the estimates are that this servant owed between 10 and 20 million <laughs> dollars that sound like a debt you couldn't pay You know, how would you like to all of a sudden be found out that you had uh, absconded with $20 million and you're told you have to repay it right away? Tough pill to swallow, isn't it? To even enforce it even more, how tough it would have been for him to pay it back in that day and time, the economy of that day and time. The average man would have to work about 20 years to earn one talent. This man owed $10,000 talents. Multiply that out. He would have had to have worked for around 200,000 years to pay it back. An impossible bill, amen? An impossible debt. There's no way he could pay it back, and that's the point that you need to grab out of this. He could not pay it back, and out of pity and mercy, the king releases his servant, forgives him of a multi-million dollar debt. The servant instead receives mercy and forgiveness. Now, the application for us today is this. We need to remember we've been forgiven also. We've been forgiven a debt that we could not pay our sin debt. We've been forgiven our sin debt by the King of Kings. He's forgiven us. There's no way we could have taken care of it ourselves. But since he has had mercy and pity and forgiveness that he's applied toward us when we believed in him by faith, we need to bear that in mind as we relate to other people. Second part of the story is this. The hope of mercy and forgiveness is refused another servant, another fellow servant. Our lesson is simply that we we ought to practice forgiveness toward others. I said just a moment ago, we need to remember we've been forgiven. We need to remember we've been forgiven and allow that to motivate us to practice mercy and forgiveness toward others because we ourselves have received mercy and forgiveness continue on in this illustration this parable that jesus is telling that same servant that had just been forgiven much i mean 10 to 20 million dollars jesus tells this story and it sounds like the servant walks out the door from the king having forgiven him much and he finds a fellow servant that owed him some money so not only was this servant a debtor to the king he was also a creditor he had loaned some money to a fellow servant, and this servant who had been forgiven so much, walks up to a fellow servant and he grabs him by the throat, and he begins to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe, and when the fellow said, I can't do it, matter of fact, he said the exact same words that this forgiven servant had said, if you will give me time, have mercy on me, if you give me time, I'll pay you back, same thing he said to the king. But this forgiven servant that was forgiven so much refuses, and he puts his fellow servant in prison. Think about that for a minute. How in the world can someone be forgiven that much, 10 or $20 million debt, and you walk out the door, and you put it out of your mind what you've just been forgiven of, and you go out and you mistreat A fellow servant and you refuse to forgive them and you've been forgiven so much you see that's the point that Jesus is making we've been forgiven a ton in our lives this fellow servant didn't owe a whole lot to him I mean in that day and time it would have been a lot it would be about twenty dollars today but in that economy in that day and time it was about a hundred days wages that this fellow servant owed him but, potentially, he could have paid that back. Ten or twenty million dollars, no way to pay that back. But his fellow servant potentially could have paid it back. And yet he refuses, even though he had been forgiven so Much. Our application for us today would be something like this. We who have been forgiven much must not refuse to give mercy and forgiveness to others. Because we have been forgiven much, we should practice mercy and forgiveness toward others. In other words, you and I as believers, because Christ died on the cross for us, because God has given us so much mercy and so much forgiveness in our lives, we need to remember that and that ought to impact the way we relate to other people. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 4 get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I've read that verse several times over the years, because it blew me away years ago after I was called to preach, and I was studying the Bible, and I came across that, and I thought, wow, that... That means I've got a lot of forgiveness to practice toward others myself because God forgave me of a lot. And if you'd be honest before a holy and righteous God, all of us would have to admit man, God has forgiven us of a lot for Jesus' sake. And in the same way, we're to practice forgiveness toward others. Colossians 3 says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We we ought to be willing to forgive people because of the love that God has put in our heart. That type of love, the love of Christ in our lives, ought to bind together us being able to have the virtue of forgiving others. Of giving mercy and forgiveness toward others because we have been forgiven of so much ourselves. As we continue on in this story that Jesus is telling Third thing, if you're falling along, filling in the blanks in the in the notes, is this: the hope and the hope of mercy and forgiveness is ruined in this story. The hope of mercy and forgiveness is ruined by by our unforgiven attitudes and actions. We can ruin forgiveness for others, and we can ruin forgiveness for ourselves. Now, by that, here's what I mean. The beauty of forgiveness is ruined for others when those who are forgiven refuse to forgive. I think there's an anticipation on God's behalf when he's forgiven us so much that you and I are willing to display the beauty of mercy and forgiveness toward other people. I think other people ought to have an anticipation from us as Christians that we would be the kind of people that would practice mercy and forgiveness toward them. Certainly toward other believers. And when we fail to do so, it kindly takes the sparkle off of forgiveness and mercy. When we fail to forgive ourselves. Verse 31 through 33 when his fellow servants saw that he had, what had taken place, they, some of them are standing there. Probably some other court officials, court servants with the king. They're standing there. They know that this servant was forgiven so much. And then they see him come out. And they see what takes place. They see him choke a fellow servant and have him thrown into prison. They were greatly distressed. It really bothered them. They see someone that had been so forgiven, fail to practice forgiveness. They were so distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should not and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you. What should have taken place, even by the king's own words, what should have taken place is because you're forgiven, you ought to practice forgiveness. Because I forgave you so much, I had mercy and pity on you. You ought to have mercy and and pity on your fellow servants. You ought to forgive. But that's not what happened. Because that's not what happened. That beauty that could have been seen in his life, that beauty of mercy and forgiveness, the sparkle of it is missing in the others who observe what happened, and even in the king's life himself, because the king calls him a wicked servant. The king says, this is what you should have done, and you didn't do it. Like I said a moment ago, we, I, I think there's an expectation. We're, we're the followers of Christ. We've received mercy and forgiveness ourselves. There ought to be an expectation for us to practice mercy and forgiveness toward each other. Amen? As believers. How in the world do people get to the point of having been forgiven so much and they'll harbor something and they'll hold it against, even another Christian, they'll hold it against them for years and years and years and years and never ever turn it loose. If we've been forgiven a lot ourselves, we need to practice forgiveness toward others. And when we fail to do so, it robs the beauty of forgiveness that other people ought to see coming out of our lives as as forgiven people but the benefit of forgiveness also seems to be ruined for this forgiven servant so if we're not careful we can ruin forgiveness for ourselves when we refuse to forgive others the bible says this in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt which is going to be never okay remember the amount that he owed how long it would take all right never he's given a life sentence he's going to die in prison And then Jesus throws this troubling remark in, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This servant that was forgiven so much is literally put into prison. I think the application for us is something like this. If you and I fail to practice mercy and forgiveness toward others, on the other side of us have experienced mercy and forgiveness, we're building an emotional prison for ourselves. We're putting ourselves behind walls of bitterness when we fail to forgive other people. We're walling our own lives in. It's like we put ourselves in this emotional prison. We torment ourselves as we look out at others through the wall of our own forgiveness. It's like we, we place ourselves in a, in a prison cell because we're bitter and we're unwilling to forgive people. And it causes us to be emotionally put in a prison. Some of the most miserable people I have ever met over now almost 31 years of, of, of ministry are those people who refuse to forgive other people. Some of the most miserable believers, church members, I've ever dealt with, are those people that keep holding on to bitterness and refuse to forgive. Can can I share something really important to you? You forgiving someone else doesn't mean it was okay they did what they did. you realize that? You forgiving someone doesn't mean that what they did wasn't wrong. You forgiving someone is not setting them free, it's setting yourself free. It's setting yourself free from from bitterness and hatred, from putting yourself in an emotional prison. What in the world was wrong with this man? I mean, I illustrated a minute ago. How do you go from being forgiven so much, walk right out the door and choke somebody and put them into prison because of what they owed you? Regrettably, what was wrong with him, I think, is the same thing that's wrong with many professing Christians. They've received forgiveness and mercy themselves. But they don't allow it to deeply affect their hearts and their lives enough to where they're willing to practice forgiveness and mercy toward other people. And they've just got a superficial understanding and experience of forgiveness in their own lives. If all we live for is justice, if all we live for is getting back at someone, getting, getting you know, payment for what someone's done for us. If that's all we live for, we'll be putting ourselves in prison ourselves. Emotional prison. But on the other hand, If we can forgive and if we can practice mercy toward those that even have hurt us and offended us, we're setting ourselves free from the bitterness that can so hold our lives down. The application for us as believers is simply this. We need to be really, really careful to remember how we've been forgiven. Man, we've been forgiven a lot, haven't we? Amen? Listen, everyone listen. Put down your holier than thou attitude for a minute. Put down the facade. We have been forgiven much. Amen. Everybody has been forgiven by Christ. If you know Christ, your Savior, you've been forgiven. You, y'all, be shaking your head off. We've been forgiven much. We need to allow God's forgiveness to produce forgiveness in our own lives as a beautiful thing for others to see. That's an expectation. It ought to be there. The world ought to see us practicing that kind of forgiveness. Unforgiven attitudes and actions displayed by forgiven people ruin the beauty of mercy and forgiveness. God forbid that we would ruin the very concept that other people have of mercy and forgiveness by us as believers who have been forgiven so much, refusing to practice forgiveness toward others I'm about ready to close but we need to ponder that verse 35 for a minute I know you're hoping I'd leave it alone I wished I could Jesus made that very serious statement also so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart what does he mean by that He's not talking about someone that's really, really truly experienced forgiveness losing their salvation. That's impossible. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about salvation, I said earlier. He's talking about forgiveness among believers. I think in this story, this parable that Jesus tells, it appears to me that that servant that was forgiven so much, he really wasn't repentant. He just wanted to get off the hook. For the 10 or 20 million dollars. So he begs for mercy. And then he walks out the door. And he thinks. I'm off the hook. There's somebody that owes me money. It didn't seem like his life was impacted. By the mercy and forgiveness of God at all. And probably wasn't. That he'd been forgiven so much by this king. See if. No matter what you say or what you claim, church member, Christian, whatever, if if you've not really really experienced God's mercy and forgiveness in your life, you can't begin to understand how you ought to practice it towards someone else. And the flip side of that coin is this, if you have experienced God's mercy and forgiveness in your life, it ought to be easy for you to forgive and practice mercy toward others. Because you're reminded of how much you have been forgiven yourself. Jesus gives a serious warning. He's warning that God cannot forgive if we do not have humble and repentant hearts. We reveal the true condition of our hearts by the way we treat others. When our hearts are humble and repentant, we gladly forgive. Other brothers and sisters, we experience forgiveness in our hearts and that humbles us. and That makes us gentle and forgiving toward others. But when we hold on to pride and we want the desire for revenge in our lives, there's not any kind of true repentance. And that means that God can't forgive because we've not really experienced it ourselves. John writes this in 1 John. That kind of might cause us to have some discomfort. Because John is writing about something that that is a sign of us displaying that we're really forgiven, that we're authentic Christians. Not just for others, but even as evidence for ourselves that we really know Christ. He writes these words By this it is evident that we're the children of God. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. If you really love your brother, that means you're not harboring things against him. You're not hating them. You're, you're not withholding mercy. You're not withholding forgiveness also. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed. Here's the personal confidence for ourselves. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's a personal sign that you can evaluate in your own life, is whether or not you've got authentic faith. Do you love Other believers, do you love them? Can you forgive them? Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brothers are murderer, And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let me stop for a minute so you don't get a misunderstanding. A murderer can be forgiven of his sins and go to heaven. You understand that? He's talking about someone that's unrepentant. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Think about that statement for a minute. (laughs) If we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ, as Jesus laid down his life for us, if we're willing to lay our lives down, don't you think we can at least practice mercy and forgiveness towards someone else if we're willing to lay our lives down? But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And that's some serious statements, isn't it? It's something for us to use to evaluate. We ask ourselves, and is my faith really, really authentic? Because here's the deal: if you refuse forgiveness and mercy toward others, you are emotionally handicapping yourself. If you refuse to forgive others, you're stunning your spiritual growth with grudges by holding on to your grudges. So, here's a homework assignment. You didn't know you were in school today, did you? Every now and then, not often, every now and then you give a homework assignment. Here's your homework assignment. I want you to make a list of your top five hurts. Go and think about it. Evaluate the top five things that have caused hurt and pain in your life. After you make that list, ask yourself this. Who must be forgiven to relieve these burdens? In other words, how do I need to practice mercy and forgiveness so I can turn loose of this, so I can drop this burden, this hurt? How can forgiveness be initiated in this hurt that I have? Maybe there's someone else I need to get that can help me with it, to go see someone else or to pray for me or counsel me or or whatever. But what do I need to do to turn loose of these top five hurts and then do something about it. Actually, go see the person and do something about it. Because God has forgiven us all of our sins. How in the world can we withhold forgiveness and mercy from others? All of us here that know Christ as our Savior, all of us that are part of the same body of Christ that we call day three, all of us ought to have an expectation from each other that we will practice mercy and forgiveness toward each other. Not a ledger. Not you've done it so many times I'm writing you off. But an unlimited number of times because of the great forgiveness and mercy we receive from Christ, we ought to practice that forgiveness toward each other. And as we do that, we'll display the beauty of God's forgiveness for everybody else to see as we practice mercy and forgiveness in our lives. Let's pray. Father, there's so many times we have to admit, even as Christians, that we've wrestled with forgiving people, we've wrestled with with practice and mercy toward others. Forgive us, Father, when we, when we act like that. Help us to act more like Jesus. Help us to be willing to say, Father, forgive them. Help us to live lives of mercy and forgiveness toward each other. Lord, we need to display for the world to see the beauty, the impact of your mercy and your forgiveness on our lives. Failing to do so will grieve other believers. And maybe give non-believers excuses as to why they don't want to be a Christian. But, Father, forgive us when we fail to practice mercy and forgiveness. Father, if there's someone in this place, in this service this morning, that has never, ever experienced your mercy and your forgiveness by faith in Jesus. God, I pray right now that you'd help them to see that it's available. Help them to see that you love them so much you sent your son from heaven into this world to be abused, to die, to suffer in their place, to pay the penalty for their sin. Help them to understand they can find mercy for whatever they've done. They can find forgiveness for whatever they've done by trusting in Jesus. Give them the faith to do that during this time of invitation. Father, give us once again as believers the ability to deal honest with our hearts deal honestly in our own hearts about things maybe we're still harboring and holding on to and turn loose of them and practice your mercy and your forgiveness toward others so it can be a beautiful thing for the world to see. Which in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.